Life is all about choices. The decisions we make in many ways define the quality of our lives. My name is John Redmond. I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about the choices, the decisions that we make in life. If you have your Bible, I hope you'll open it to the book of Ruth, chapter number one. We're going to see in this one chapter that several people made lots of different choices, and most all of them were bad choices. But thank God one girl in this chapter made a good choice, and it changed her life, and it really changed the world. In Ruth chapter 1, we find a lot of people making a lot of different choices, and most all of them were wrong. In fact, in this first chapter of Ruth, I can only find one person who made a right decision. Everybody else made bad decisions. So let's get the background of what's going on here. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in Israel. That little phrase that said, when the judges ruled, that lets us know that this was a wicked time in Israel's history. If you study the history of the nation of Israel, you see there were certain times they were close to God, they were seeking God, they were living right, God blessed them. There were other times they were not living for God at all, and there were always problems as a result of their lack of obedience. In fact, if you look back maybe just one page to the left in your Bible in the book of Judges, the very last verse in the book, chapter 21, verse 25 it describes the period of the judges in one verse. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Now watch this next phrase. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sounds like the day in which we live today. In other words, these people, they looked at a situation. They said, this is what I think I should do. I'm going to do it. It doesn't say they did what was wrong in their eyes. They were trying to do right. But the problem was it was what was right in their eyes, not necessarily what was right in God's eyes. And so it was a dark day for the nation of Israel. And in this environment, there was a famine in the land. Now, when there's a famine, when there is no food, and when you are a husband especially or a father, you have the, or you feel the responsibility to provide for your wife, to provide for your family. And so put yourself, men, in the shoes of these guys that were living back in Israel at this time. There's a famine in the land. Well, you've got a wife. You're supposed to take care of that girl. You have kids. You're supposed to provide and feed for them. What are you going to do? How are you going to react now that there is a famine in the land? And so as the book starts, we see the situation, and we see immediately that the man of the house, the leader of the home, is forced to make a decision. What will he do when there's no food to eat? Well, let's see what he did. It says, And a certain man of Bethlehem went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And so this man made a decision to leave Bethlehem, to leave the nation of Israel, and to go to Moab. You say, well, there's no big deal to that. So he went to Moab. 
Well, the problem with his decision is that Moab was a pagan land. In Moab, they didn't worship the one true God of heaven. They worshiped false gods. They lived uh, bad lifestyles. But he made a decision to leave Bethlehem and to go to Moab. Now, let's keep reading. In verse 2, we are introduced to these people. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his sons were Milan and Kilion. And they went to the country of Moab, and they remained there. Now, before we even get into seeing the consequences of their decisions, because let me make this point before I forget to say it. While it is true that we are free to make decisions, God has given us a free will, we are not free to choose the consequences of those decisions. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Elimelech made a decision to leave Bethlehem, take his family to Moab, but he was not free to choose the consequences or the results of that decision. And this is true for all of us. You have freedom to do whatever you want to do, but you're not free to choose the consequences of that decision. Every decision that we make has consequences. And for Elimelech, we see that the consequences of his decision were bad. Look in verse number three. It says, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Milan and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And so Elimelech made a decision. Hey, there's a famine in the land. Got to do something. I'm taking my family to Moab. He had the freedom to make that choice. But he did not have the freedom to choose the consequences of his decision. And the result of his decision is he died, his two sons died, and he left his, his wife as a widow And now she's not only a widow, but her kids have died. And so she is in a predicament because he made a decision that was not the wisest decision that he could have made. Now, let's think about this for just a second. What was it that made Elimelech's decision bad? I mean, what what did he do wrong? I mean, you read this thing, you think, well, what's the big deal about going to where there's food? I mean, if there's no food in Bethlehem, why not go to Moab where there is food? As as you think about this, it's like you see a recipe for a wrong decision. And you see exactly what Elimelech did or what he failed to do that led him into this decision. And this is what many times gets us in trouble in our own lives. First of all, notice this. His decision to go to Moab was not preceded by prayer. Now look back in verse 1 again. I want you to see this. It was not preceded by prayer. That first sentence, it ends by saying there was a famine in the land. But notice it doesn't say after that, therefore, because there was a famine in the land, Elimelech prayed and said, God, there's no food to eat. I have a wife. I have kids. I have my own life to consider. God, what would you have me to do? There was no prayer. His decision was not preceded by prayer. He saw a situation. He made a knee-jerk reaction. He did what he thought he ought to do, but he didn't pray about it. Have you noticed in your life 
that when you make a decision that is not preceded by prayer, nine times out of ten, you live to regret that decision. You know what I've noticed in life? Because, hey, let's face it, in life we make lots of decisions. Years ago, the University of Wisconsin did a study that said the average person on a typical day makes 20,000 decisions. Now, that seems high to me, but that was the result of their study. You've made decisions today. What time to get up? What you had for breakfast? You coming to church? Yes or no? What are you going to wear? I mean, we've made a lot of decisions. And most of the decisions we make are not that big a deal. I mean, it doesn't matter if I wore a blue suit or a black suit or a sports coat or a, or a gray suit. It doesn't make, but that's still, a, I had to decide what color suit, what color shirt, what color tie. We make lots of decisions. Most of them aren't a big deal, but some of the decisions we make in life are really big deals. And on those decisions, especially, we have to pray before we make the decision. Here's what I was going to say that I have noticed. If you, as you go about your process, and I hope everybody has a process that they go through before you make a decision, certainly a major decision, but before you make a major decision, if you have a process, you say, you know what, I want to pray about this, I'm going to seek godly counsel, I'm going to try my best, I want to make the right decision, I want to be in God's will, I want to do what's right, I want to make good decisions, not bad decisions, I've noticed this. In fact, it's interesting. I've always thought this in my heart, what I'm about to say, but I had never heard anybody say it. And so I was always kind of scared to say this in a public setting because I thought, well, I may be wrong on that, but I, I think it's true. And I heard a pastor whom I deeply love and respect say this years ago, and I thought, well, if he can say it, I can say it <laughs> because, because uh, he's been doing this for so long. But he said this in his sermon. He said, when you're trying to make decisions, if the desire of your heart is to do what's right, and you pray about it, you seek godly counsel, you, you believe in your heart when you make that decision that it is God's will, for the sake of the argument, even if you make the wrong decision, you are covered by God's grace because God knew that the desire of your heart was to make the right decision. Here's a guy that works at one of the plants, and, and he's been at his particular plant for a long time, and he has an opportunity to go to a different plant and make more money, and so maybe he's interviewing with Shell and with Exxon, and he's like, God, I don't know if you want me to stay where I am for less money or go to one of these other plants where I can make more money, but God, I want to know your will. I want to do your will. God, I'm just praying about it, and he meets with both companies, and he talks to people who work with both companies, and he talks to his pastor about it or his connection group leader or his friend, certainly his spouse, and, and he prays it over. And finally, he has to make a decision, and he decides to go with Shell. Let's just play like 18 months later, it becomes obvious to him he should have gone with Exxon, okay? However he found that out, he should have gone. He made the wrong decision. The fact that he was so sincere about making that decision, even though he chose wrong, that man's going to be just fine because here's what I want you to... Now, this is taught in the Bible. God will honor the fact that you tried to make the right decision even if you made the wrong decision and he will cover you. For example, the, the other guy on, on the, the opposite of that illustration says, hey, I'm sick of working where I work. I can make more money if I go to one of these other plants. 
okay, I want to go to Shell. I go with Shell. He doesn't pray about it. He doesn't seek godly counsel about it. He doesn't wait on God. He just makes a decision. When that person gets out there, I'm telling you there is a sense in which that person is on his own with that decision because he did not try to honor God in the process of making that decision. Now, God will forgive him. God will help him. God's not going to abandon him. But what I'm saying is this. If you make a decision in life and you don't even try to honor God, I would, this, is a, this may be in hyperbole. This is probably an exaggeration. I would almost in life, I mean, this is an exaggeration because I would rather make the right decision. But for the sake of this illustration, do you, is it okay if I just say it like this? I would almost rather make the wrong decision the right way by honoring God than to make the right decision the wrong way doing it on my own. Now, I know that just sounds funny because we want to make the right decision. But the point I'm making is Elimelech, when he made the decision to go to Moab, he didn't pray about it one bit. He saw a situation and he just made up his mind that's what he was going to do. I'll tell you a second problem with his decision. Not only was it not preceded by prayer, his decision was not prompted by God. Notice back again in verse 1. It do, after it says, and there was a famine in the land, it doesn't say... And in the midst of this famine, God spoke to Elimelech in a dream by night. And God said, Elimelech, take your family, leave Bethlehem, go to Moab, and when you get there, I will provide. There's not anything in this verse that says that. This decision was not prompted by God at all. It was a decision that Elimelech made, and he made it without any thought towards God. And I'll tell you something else, another problem. I know it sounds like we're being hard on Elimelech, but I'm just looking at it from the passage Another problem with this decision here, this, was, this is not the way that a child of God is supposed to make a decision. In other words, Elimelech saw a situation and he saw that there was no food and he evidently thought to himself, well, I can't just do nothing. I've got to do something. Haven't we all been in those situations where we say, man, look what's happening. I can't just do nothing. Did you know that sometimes the wisest thing you can do is nothing? In fact, I'll take it one step farther than that. It is actually right to do nothing until God tells you to do something. You see, what got Elimelech in trouble is the same thing gets us in trouble. We get in a situation, maybe there's a famine, there's a problem, there's a situation. We say, well, I just can't do nothing. i got to get out there and do something. And it's when we do something that is unsanctioned by God, it is not instigated by God, it is not preceded in prayer, it is not prompted by the Spirit, we just do something because we can't just do nothing. God wouldn't want me just to sit back and do nothing. Friend, God would always want you to do nothing until He tells you to do something. And yet that goes totally against the American workforce and how most of us were raised. You get out there and you work hard. Well, you do get out there and you do work hard, but you do it under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And Elimelech did not do that. And as a result of that, you say, well, it's no big deal. He went to Moab. It is a big deal. He died. His boys died. Well, I think about, there's a verse in the Bible in, in Matthew chapter 16 that fits this so well. Jesus said, anyone who tries to save his life will lose it. Think about that. He went to Moab to save his life, to save his family's life. He lost it. 
He lost it. You say, well, what should have Elimelech done? Well, it's easy for us. I'm not in Bethlehem. I don't, I, I mean, I'm not in the middle of a famine. It's easy for us thousands of years later after we see how this turned out for him to look back on that. I mean, the answer is obvious. What he should have done is stayed in Bethlehem and said to his boys, now listen, fellas, I've been living a lot longer than y'all have. We've had famines before. We've had problems before. What we're going to do is pray and we're going to trust God and God, we are his people, and God will take care of us. Did you know the name Elimelech literally means my God is king? When his parents named him, they said, we want to give him a name that for the rest of his life will make him think about God. Elimelech, El, God, Melech, king, my God is king. It would have been a great teaching opportunity for him to have said to his boys, Milan and Kilion, listen, fellas, your grandparents gave me a name that means my God is king. And so what we're going to do, we're going to hunker down here in Bethlehem, we're going to pray to the God and the king of heaven, and we're going to ask him to send food down for us. And that would have done so much to have strengthen their faith and let them see God work in their situation because as we read it later on the story that's exactly what God did eventually God visited the people there in Bethlehem he gave them food and everything was fine the famine passed but Elimelech didn't do that he chose to take matters into his own hands he made an unwise decision why I want to just stress this today because I know some of you are in the process of making decisions it wasn't preceded by prayer, it wasn't prompted by God, and it's not the way that the children of God are supposed to make decisions. He just took matters into his own hands. Now, he was not the only one who made an unwise decision. If you look beginning in verse 6, all the way down through verse 14, we read about a conversation that Naomi had with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, after all of their husbands had died. And basically what Naomi said, Naomi said to those girls was this. Girls, you are too young to remain single. Go back to your family. Reconnect with your peer group. Meet somebody. Marry that person. And have kids. And these two girls said, no, no, Naomi. We want to be loyal to you. We want to help you. And she said, you have nothing to gain by staying with me. Go back to your homeland. And so one of these girls, Orpah, she did exactly that. She went back to Moab, and presumably she started, she started her pagan lifestyle all over again, probably married a guy, and he didn't believe in God, and they, they probably had kids, and they didn't believe in God, and things just got from bad to worse. And so Orpah, she made an unwise decision based largely on her emotions, and on her desire to go back to that which was familiar and to that which was comfortable to her. Now, another person made an unwise decision in this chapter, and that was Naomi herself, because after a while, she went back to Bethlehem, and when she got back from Bethlehem, she'd been gone about 10 years, and the ladies in the community said, is this Naomi? And, and she said, in fact, we read this, look in verse number 20 at her response to that question, she said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Marah. Now, why did she say that? What's its significance? Again, names in the Bible were very important. The name Naomi means pleasant or happy. And she, what she was saying is, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me happy. Look what has happened to me. My husband died. My sons have died. In fact, at the end of the verse, she says, 
For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And so she blamed what she had been through on God. And she said, God has dealt very bitterly with me. But so she said, I want to be called Marah. And that word literally means bitter. She said, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. And so what did Naomi do? She made a decision in her life to become bitter. And it was a horrible decision. Now, she had lost her husband. She had lost her two kids. And so this is a tragic, obviously a tragic situation for her. And obviously, after a time like that, you, you go through a grieving process. But it's one thing to go through a grieving process, and it's another thing to get stuck in the grieving process and live there. You know, I think there are a lot of people who have been through tragedy and heartache and sadness And maybe it was five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 25 years ago. And yet, for some reason, for that person, instead of coming through that process of grief and anger and bitterness and all those emotions, for them, that has become their new lifestyle. And now, because of what they went through, instead of being better and growing and getting closer to God and having more faith... They become bitter and angry and down on life and mad at God. And everything's, you know, I mean, and that's exactly what Naomi had done. She made a bad decision and she chose to become bitter. But there was one person in this chapter, thank God for her, or else this would be the most depressing chapter in all the Bible. But there was one girl who made a good decision. And her name was Ruth. And that's why the book is named after her. Look what... uh, Look what Ruth said. In verse 15, first of all, Naomi said to Ruth, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Now, here's one of the greatest lines in the Bible. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, now watch this, and your God, my God. So while Elimelech made a decision to get out of God's will, and Orpah made a decision to go back to her pagan lifestyle, and Naomi made a decision to let what she had been through her make her bitter, Ruth, she made a decision To become a child of God. Your God shall be my God. That's where Ruth, we would say it this way, that's where Ruth got saved. She received God as her personal Savior and as her personal Lord at this particular time. In this chapter, three responses from each of these ladies. How did Orpah respond? She went back to what she had always known. How did Naomi respond? She got mad at God and became bitter. How did Ruth respond? She said, you know what? I'm just as sad as Orpah. I'm just as heartbroken as Naomi. But I'm making a decision. I'm making a choice to go God's way. To trust Him to give me a new beginning in my life. In fact, if you look at the very end of this first chapter, the last sentence of verse 22, it says, Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The beginning of barley harvest was in mid to late April, and it signified a new season. It's a new season in life. The crops have come in. If you will respond properly today to whatever you're going through in your life, 
God will give you a new season. God will give you a new beginning. And God will bless you because in your difficulty, you didn't go back to, once you, to the life you once knew. You didn't get bitter and blame God. But instead, you decided to go God's way, to trust Him, to obey Him, to try your best to live a life that would be pleasing to Him. And if you'll do that, God will give you a new beginning. He'll give you a new season. He'll be glorified. You'll be blessed. And not only you, so will everybody in your circle of influence. Well, whatever you're facing today, if you will make the choice to go God's way, to trust Him, He will bless you and He will see you through. Thanks for listening to Peace by Believing today. I hope you'll have a great week, and I hope you'll be with us next time.